Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Garikai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awakairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hello! Hello, hello! Happy weekend! Mm. Best time of the week! <laughs> the best time of the week. I'm always so happy when it's Saturday. It's like, ah, uh, just not having to get up to do the school run. So good. <laughs> so good. Honestly, living for the weekend. Mm-hmm. What sparked joy for you this week? Well, it was the last week of term three, which has just been great. We got confirmation on the actual physical location that my son will be going to school next year, which is great. It's nice Mm -hmm. to know what uniforms to buy because I've been sort of like, you know, I don't like uncertainty. Um, And my son and my husband are going camping for the first time ever, um, which is really cool. I mean, we've done backyard campouts where like the kids have camped in the backyard with him. not since we got the dog because the backyard is like the surface of the moon with all the craters that she's dug but you know before that <laughs> bd before dog so it's nice that they're going on an adventure together and they're going with a group of friends from school which is really fun so i'm just really happy Cute. to be home with my girl today yeah i love that for you yeah how about you what sparked joy for you this week well my housemate got some kittens and they finally arrived today so it was Yay. their first time in the house and they've been very cute they've been in the spare room the kitten room until they get a bit more adjusted and then Mm. we'll introduce them to luna the Mm. resident matriarch and hopefully that'll go well but yeah they're just really cute i've never been exposed to kittens before so (laughs) it's like a really fun time (laughs) it's totally different like old grown-up cats who are very chill are so different than kittens who are like developing their murder skills as it happens yeah and the black one salem i think is going to be a right terror like, he is just peak predator behavior. I'm like, oh, you are going to get into so much mischief. <laughs> Did you name him Salem after Sabrina the Teenage Witch? My favorite show is a tween. Sure did. So oh. Luna is named after Sailor Moon's cat. So she's Luna. And now we've got Salem and Willow. So they're oh. real witchy cats. That's perfect. But I've given that Salem a so middle happy. name. So he's Salem, Salem Mischief. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mischief as a pet name. I still have it in my mind that if we get another dog and it's a girl, it will be Mischief or Missy. Mm, cute. So cute. <laughs> so accurate, isn't it? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, exciting because we're finishing the book this week, yeah. but we're reading chapters 84 through to the epilogue through the theme of love, which is such a great theme to end on. So did you have a story for us in the theme of love? I do. I do a bit. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I talk about love a lot. I feel like I live in this, this space where love is like constantly on my mind. Like I'm always reaching for love. I'm always hoping to get to that place of like perfect love, which is not to say that I'm like completely benevolent, like, like in black books when he, spo- when he swallows the little book of calm and it's absorbed into his system. <laughs> like that's sort of my mental image for how I should be <laughs> like completely accepting but I don't think that's actually love I was thinking about the way in which love manifests throughout this chapter these chapters that we look at and I was thinking about the way that I love people and I'm aware that I often love people in ways that do not feel like love so I will sometimes be like aggressively 
harassing them to look after themselves better or <laughs> or like I'll push food on people if they're in a moment of crisis I'll be like I will make you 47 lasagnas and leave them outside your door like I like showing up for people in a way that means that they've got me for longer because I know that my own like my own attention is often very divided but I also think about how sometimes loving people means that you just have to accept all of the things about them that aren't great and how hard that can be. And thinking as well about how Baz in the last section was saying, you know, love, letting people down, that's just being in a relationship. You're going to let people down. But I think love is, is an intersection of, of accepting that you will let people down and you will be let down, but there's hope Mm. that you will continue to grow together. Like it's a choice to stay it's a choice to be in the relationship, whatever that yeah. relationship looks like. I mean, I'm not talking romance. I'm talking friendships mm-hmm. and sibling relationships and parents and children, acquaintances and neighbors, spouses, partners, everything. Um, we choose that. We keep choosing it. And I think that the hope that even when things are rough, they'll get better. That's what really makes it love. It's not just the choice. It's also the hope. So I was thinking about the way that those intersected and how, like, no matter how we act out our love, no matter what we do to show our love, whether it's pushing people to be the best they can be, which can be very a very confronting way of loving someone, but it is definitely something I see a lot. You know, there it could be that. It could be foisting food off on people. It could be just washing all of the clothes every day so that everybody has clean clothes all of the time. Or very carefully cutting all of the tags out of everyone's underpants, which is a thing I do <laughs> on the regular. And then keeping track of which sizes are which, so <laughs> I know which ones to replace. Like, that's that's love. That is a choice. That is an action. That is something I do for the benefit of the people that I care about. But it's not the whole story either. I just think there's so much in this world we don't understand, but we have to keep reaching. And I'm never going to be Manny, having absorbed the little book of calm into my system. I'm always going to be way more like Bernard Black but I can I can keep trying and I can keep working toward that and I can always keep choosing and hoping and I think that's where I landed with love that it's not just a choice but it's also hope yeah I think that's very true I think you can't have love without hope in some case in some way like it's sort of hope in the face of all reason a lot of times in the face of logic yeah just backing the concept and hoping it all works out well there are days I wake up and I feel like I have no love anywhere you know and that's just Mm. part of the normal human condition you get tired you're like I cannot do anything but exist Mm. but it doesn't mean those feelings are gone it just means that they're like hard to get to and I guess hope is just making sure that that route stays accessible right yeah it stays open and yeah Mm. it's still there keep the path clear keep the tracks clear yeah, 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 for sure. And also, like, accept that we're going to be disappointed. I feel like this is something I'm having to say a lot in, like, my personal life. And and just just at the moment, it's a lot of people being disappointed, people being let down. My husband and I have been talking about invisible rules. Like, he mm. has a lot of invisible rules that he's start, starting to really go, oh, does this matter? Is this actually a real rule? And I don't believe in invisible rules, so <laughs> 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 I've thrown those all out. But, um... It's been really interesting to think, like, what are the invisible rules that make us think we're not worthy of love if we don't achieve these these markers, right? Yeah. Because we're all worthy yeah. of love. All of us. 
Yeah, it's a very complex thing. And yeah, like those invisible rules that we place upon ourselves. No one else is expecting mm-hmm. that. Our other theme of this, this series, expectations, right? It's what we expect yeah. of ourselves often. That is the the hurdle to love, to letting love in. Absolutely. Yeah. Could be so much better. <laughs> we should all just be well, vibing. <laughs> we should, just vibes. Vibes all the time. Um, okay, I will do our chapter summaries and then we can chat about it. So yes, in this section, Lady Ruth and Jamie invite Simon and Baz over for a celebratory lunch. There is an obscene amount of food and there's also a sword on the table, which Simon helpfully moves, except it turns out it's a family Excalibur and it can only be moved by Salisbury, which means that Simon Snow is Lucy's lost child. Mm. A lot of happy crying ensues. Also, Simon is pretty impressed with the sword, which is really sweet. <laughs> Penny takes Shepard to her family's house for dinner and asks him to stay in London, but he in turn asks her to come back with him to Omaha for a while. They like each other, and it's very great and super cute. And Agatha has moved to Watford, and she keeps the goats, and she is content with trading her wand for a walking stick. I love Agatha. Like, I love that she just found this Mm. peace and this love for the goats and for Watford in this way that she never really appreciated while she was there, but it turns out to be everything that she needed. And she's got a clawfoot tub and an amazing yeah. glass window. And it's just it's just so lovely for her. I love yeah. that for her. And she's got Neve, you know. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it also feels like she's exactly where she needs to be and exactly where she wants to be, right? So we yeah. saw her in the second book, especially worried about not being able to be a vet because of her grades. Well, maybe she was on a similar track, but not exactly the right track, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And I love that Neve is the one who got rid of the merwolves. You know, Simon and Bath both talk about how they wanted to get rid of them, but Neve's the one who just, like, got on with it. And I love that for her. Neve has no time for people who aren't useful. I love that. She is, of course, a very useful person. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. They're 100% the lesbian couple that will come over and hang a door for you, but judge you the whole time. <laughs> I hope that they're like Neve softened to Simon and Baz and they go and have nice beers at the pub together. I hope so too. I feel like, like, I mean, looking at Agatha and looking at Baz, Simon definitely has a type, right? Like they are very Mm. similar in a lot of ways. And Penelope and Baz are similar in a lot of ways too. So I kind of think that Neve is like the grumpy version of Simon. Like she will do the right thing, but she's going to be real grumpy about it. Whereas Simon's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do the right thing, but I'm just not going to think about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're both doers. They're both people who do things and get things done and, like, have a sense of justice. And I think that that's really important and really beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. I know. It's great. I love that Agatha's love language is, like, looking after animals and that she's so content and that she loves what she does. She wants to be – she's like, there's plenty to do back at Watford, but I still go out and sit on the stumps and stones and spend days with the goats. Like, that's so great. Yeah, I'm glad she found that. She just deserves it, right? Like, just... Yeah. She found her vocation, and that's such a lovely thing. Not everyone has a vocation, but she found one, and I love that for her. It's just it's nice. It's just a nice way to end the book, that she that is the get epilogue. She doesn't have to be kidnapped. She doesn't have to be attacked by vampires. She is safe because she's at Watford, and she's doing something that matters to, like, the world of mages, but not in a way that, like, elevates the mages themselves individually, right? Because she wouldn't want to do mm. that. 
Yeah, and it defies these expectations that everyone had Mm. for her in her life, right? Like, she's really doing it on her own terms, which is all she ever wanted. She didn't want to be the prize at the end. And she isn't. She's the prize to herself. And that is just, like, the ultimate love story, I think. It's Agatha's love story with herself and her self-worth. Yes. And also Neve and the kissing and Neve and the kissing. I can't. I can't. I have so many feelings about it. I love this couple and I love Neve's grumpiness and I love her quiff and I love everything about her. (laughs) Speaking of couples, I really love the way that Simon and Baz love each other. And I think you really see it in this last section as well, how far they've come. Even that bit where they're like, you know, you're not allowed to practice, you're not allowed to practice the sword on my side of the room. And (laughs) am I allowed to practice violin on your side of the room? It's like this throwback to when they lived together at Watford and it's just really lovely to see how far they've come and the way that, you know, when Simon is having a lot of feelings with Lady Ruth when Lucy's candle goes out, Baz yeah. immediately tries to get to him and he's like respectful of his space and he puts his hand on his back. He's not crowding him. He's very aware of what Simon needs and yeah. he helps him with his clothes, these clothes that he's purposely bought for Simon. Like Simon says, you oh know, I've never gosh, seen him wear clothes. short sleeves. <laughs> yeah. This is the point that I wanted to start with was Baz loves nice clothing and Simon loves letting Baz look after him in this specific way and he thinks about it and he's like are you going to dress me every morning and Baz says if you allow it absolutely and he goes I probably will allow it what do I care and then he says I don't want to wear flowers and it's he loves it when Baz wears flowers but he just doesn't want to wear them and Baz is like so noted like it's such a beautiful moment that they're giving each other the space and and like reaching for each other and like Hmm. giving the boundaries as well because sometimes that's important to say like Yes, but not flowers. I also love that it's a real full circle moment from where we started off with Carry On when Simon was thinking about the uniform and he didn't know what he was going to do the next year when he was out of school because he likes having a uniform. He likes knowing what to wear and what's he going to do. And it's like, don't worry, because Baz is going to look after you. He's going to do it. Yeah. Can Baz come dress me as well? Just I know. (laughs) I want that as well. Like, I just want to dress like Baz. So that's fine. (laughs) No. You, yeah, you um, you can embody Baz. You can be femme Baz. I love it. Um, yeah. Going back to Lady Ruth a bit, the way that she cooks so, so much food because mm-hmm. she's just so excited that her son is home. And like like Simon predicted, his magic or lack of it doesn't even come up. It's a non-issue. It's, yeah. it's not something they ever even talk about. Um, I mean, obviously, we then find out right away that... Um, Simon is a Salisbury, which is very exciting. But like the, the fact that Jamie's used up all his magic has not even brought up. Like Lady Ruth is just so excited to see Simon and Baz, and she's so happy to yeah. have her son home. And I love that conversation they have about the sandwiches because she, you know, Baz compliments the sandwich and he says that you know I use magic for that one. And he's like, well, you'd have to. And then Jamie says, my favorite is the egg and watercress, and she's like, oh, I can teach you how to make that one. You don't need magic for that. I yeah. love this, like, you know. It's, it's just a real moment of love and joy and affection and sharing. And it, yeah. it made me think of you because I think food is your love language as well. <laughs> yes, 100%. I love to feed people and see them fed. Are you fed? Are you warm? Are you happy? Do you need another blanket? Such a And I love thing. that Simon and Shepard's bond over that as well. Like, Bear says, you know, <laughs> finally Simon has someone to talk about, about sandwiches too. Like, <laughs> yes, because he's always loved sandwiches. This was the missing link to their friendship was the sandwiches come full circle I'm just I have a lot of feelings about that whole um the whole luncheon at at Lady Ruth's where you know he he pulls the sword out of the table and 
and they're both looking at him gobsmacked and he's like oh no what did i do and and Baz is like, well, he, he's committed some sort of sword faux pas. And then he's like, <laughs> probably he's a king. That's fine. I wouldn't surprise. Like, I just... Yeah. I, I love Baz. Is like, at this point, anything could happen and I'm rolling with it. But the way that they immediately know, it's, it's like their hope and their expectation. I don't know that they ever actually expected Lucy to come back, but they never stopped hoping, right? Mm, and as mm-hmm, soon as they mm-hmm. had any confirmation, any wink, like any inkling any little whiff that it could be him they it clicked right into place for them so that speaks to me of a love that is so enormous and so huge that that it's just been waiting to be given right yeah yeah i love the the love and lady ruth and and jamie as well and they're so joyful that simon and simon there's grief in that as well because you know Lucy's not there but Simon is and Jamie says you know don't you know how happy we are this is like the best news we've had in 20 years we're your family it's just so lovely and then you know they have no doubt about it because Jamie's like even well you even look like him right yeah and then Baz is like oh he does look like him I thought he'd (laughs) learnt it but no it's there right and I love that when Lady Ruth also says you know she sees it in the set of his shoulders and Davy in the set of his eyes and it's just yeah. like that is what love is it's like when you look at it you know when you look at your your kids and you can see the parts of your husband the parts of you the parts of your family your your parents your grandparents you yep. recognize these parts in your kids and i think that kind of familial love is really strong in those moments yes and this is the bit that's gonna make me cry so i apologize in advance but the fact <laughs> that lucy's love held on for so long that she was able to keep that candle burning for 20 years because she has not been alive but her love mm. has been alive for that long to see her kids safely home oh it just it does it does my head in i can't yeah and we know from the first book <laughs> she's been existing in this sort of in between right like she's not a ghost yeah. she's not she's not moved on she's just hanging on because she wants to take simon home and like part of it is probably also the spell that lady ruth has been casting like she's been casting yeah. all these protections and things like she's been Absolutely. facilitating that no doubt and I'm just so happy that Simon gets to have this, that he gets to come home. Yes. And he gets something yeah. that a lot of people don't get, which is he gets answers about his identity. And they're not great answers, right? The the bit with the mage, him thinking through the mage said he found me in a care home, but that was a lie. Like, he's having to actually acknowledge, my father left me there in care homes and then came to find me as if I were a foundling like he's having to kind of work through all of this and And sent me back every summer and blah 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 yeah use me as a weapon and he also has to deal with the guilt of lady ruth saying where is your mother because he doesn't Mm. know he's never known he doesn't know who his mother is and i just think that that's a lot like that is a lot and she asks because she wants to know if if he knows not not because she thinks that you know he's he's got a duty pro- to produce her or anything <laughs> but oh just have a lot of feelings about lucy waiting until she could make sure that everybody knew who everybody was before she could finally let go yeah oh and then simon says at the end you know in that final interaction he has with baz that we see when he's like you know it's too much because he also has to reckon with you know the mage was his mentor and he felt bad enough about he felt responsible for his death yeah and now that he knows it's his father as well and like the grief he carries because i think in a way losing your magic and him believing that he was normal that he stole it that it was never his 
it's almost easier to deal with the it's loss protective. that way. Yeah, and now we have yeah. to be like, oh no, yeah. I actually had something to lose. This is the echo of what Jamie was doing, right? This was the echo of Jamie saying, well, maybe one of my parents was normal. Maybe I was never meant to be a, med- a mage, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but I think that the fact that both Jamie and Simon can still pick up the sword, like it's a magical mm-hmm. sword, like yes, a magical bloodline, but also there must be a little bit of magic in you to still be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. I don't think they're going to be magicless forever. Yeah, I would be interested to know. But I think that even if they got something back, it would be very nominal. I think it would be good for Simon to learn to live within the world of mages without having to be magical. Because he feels, again, those expectations, right? They, mm. They've they weighed on him because he could never be the kind of mage that he was supposed to be. He had all of this power, but he had no way to, like, finesse it. Yeah. It's easier for him to not have to deal with, like, the consequences of going off all of the time. He never needed it, though, right? Like, this is the thing he never really squares with. He never needed that to be the mages here, to be useful, to be a hero. It's always the fact that he was fighting and good on his feet that really got him. That was really the valuable bit. Mm, Absolutely. I love that he's got a sword again. (laughs) I know, and he really loves that he's talking about it. He's like, this is a hell of a blade. I'm like, this is great. He gets the sword. Baz Baz is like, is he going to sleep with it? I think he's going to sleep with the sword. (laughs) cracks me up i love that um you can pick it up and move it around as long as it's not like stuck in something because mm. he's like can i pick it up oh i can pick it up when he's just trying to get it off the bed so you know yeah don't sleep with your sword in your bed it's not a good idea but i do love that he's just so excited if he has a sword he keeps trying to give it back and they're like please no take it <laughs> we don't need it yeah and Bez is like what does jamie need with the sword i'm surprised he still has all those fingers which fair we've met jamie <laughs> fair yeah he's um yeah, he's a bit helpless, a bit hapless, but he's lovely. I love him. Yeah. I love that he's the first one to really be joyful. Like, Lady Ruth is dealing with both the grief and the excitement, and she just dissolves, right? But he's the one who's, mm. like, standing there grinning, like, this is great. We have you. We've been waiting for you. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I also think there's some love in the way that Matali is protective of Penny. And she's she's like, I can't believe you're dating a normal. And Penny <laughs> pulls her up on that expectation and is like, do you hear yourself in the context of this day? And she's yeah, like, okay, I love point. that. Um, I love that she calls her out on that because like, th- yeah. it's that expectation that has caused all this drama in the yes. first place. And it's yes. literally just happened. Let's not just gloss over that fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she she then says, I want you to have a rich and challenging magical life. And that in itself is a bit of a love, like it's it's an expression of love to want your kids to have a fulfilling and satisfying life. But imagine mm. who would have been Matali's match, right? Probably Davy. And that would not have been a great life for her. It might have been rich <laughs> and challenging and magical, but she wouldn't have been happy. Whereas with no. Martin, she's much happier. So I think you have to find, like, not just what you think is right, but also what is actually right. But they can only get married in three dimensions. That she knows of. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the expectation that Penny has that, oh, this is going to be terrible taking ship there and he's going to get all the magical secret. But meanwhile, it's Martin being like, so tell me about all your magical creatures that you've met. And what did you do? And he's like, so interested. It's so cute. This is exactly like this. They need Shep. They need a magic to magical creature liaison because the world of mages can't do it. They're too set in their ways. They're too set in their traditions. 
I know I mention this on the podcast a lot, but it's the Ted Lasso thing. Be curious, not judgmental. They're too yes. judgmental. They absolutely are. And there is always going to be this the us versus them until somebody actually like makes overtures to make it better. Hmm. To actually bridge that gap. And you get a normal like Shep who can and that's just actually quite great, isn't it? Hmm, it really is. He's curious. Well, we must talk. Yeah, and yes. we have to talk about him and Penny and their budding romance slash love. Like, she likes him so much and it makes her mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a mood. <laughs> also, the being like, I really like you, but you live in a completely different place, so I'm going to be sulky about it. I have been there. It hmm. sucks. Why do all my friends live overseas? Yeah, it's very annoying. Yeah. I love that he kind of ex- subverts the expectation as well, where he's like, let me come back to you on my own two feet. Like, he says no to her, and mm. I think Penny needs that, because in a way, I think she's still afraid that she just steamrolls people and forces them to go along, because yeah. she is very forceful. And Shep she adores sure her, but he is still going to stick to his own boundaries, and I think that's really important, and it's a really clear expectation for their relationship as well. Yeah, and it puts them on, I wouldn't say more equal footing, but it puts them on a better footing if he were able to come back on his own steam, I guess. Mm. Whereas if he just let himself get caught up in the tornado of her, she would feel like she could do that all the time. Yeah, and I love that he says it's tornado season in Nebraska because Mm -hmm. it's like such a nice full circle moment on that as well. Being like, well, you're a tornado. I love them. Please don't take her tornado watching. She would absolutely have too much fun. And we need Penny to not be. Uh, she's going to kill Ken, right? Can we just sidebar? Yeah. She's 100% going to slay that dragon. I Like, how is Shep? Why is Shep not aware of this? <laughs> she's just going to leave a trail of bodies by absolving all of his debts. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> take her to Nebraska. Do you think she'll go with him? Because we don't get a confirmation. But what do you think? I think she would. I would. I would have. I mean, Simon and Baz are in a good place. It's summer. She doesn't have uni for a while. Mm. I think it would be good. It would be nice to go back and not be, like, fighting vampires or, I don't know, rescuing someone or attacking people in Ren fairs. I think she could just have a nice vacation, maybe. I feel like that's a whole other spin-off series is just Penny. Mm. Getting into scraps everywhere she goes. Yes, yes. the adventures it's of like, Penny. It's like Poker Face, but with Penny. <laughs> that would be amazing, and I would love that. Anyway. I just, yeah, I love that Simon subverts everyone's expectations with that sword. Yeah, because he's just like no one really expects him to pull it out. And you've already said about Baz just being like, oh well, if he was the once and future kin, I wouldn't be surprised. Like he just expects <laughs> Simon to do the extraordinary yeah. thing. He's like, yeah, no, that's this track. And yep. then poor Simon just always expects the worst. He just has these horrible yeah. experiences that he's just immediately, you know, this is a mistake. And what if it isn't true? Mm-hmm. And he's trying so hard, especially, yeah, page 555. You know, he's like, this can't be, this is a mistake. And Jamie said, she told us she had a child. And then he mm. says, I can't be. And then Jamie says, you must be pointing at the sword. Merlin, Simon, you even look like him. And that's when Simon's like, oh my gosh, she dated the mage. The mage is my dad. Holy. Like he, he's just not able to, because you know, it takes some time. It takes some time to think things through and to get things. Mm. So this is just a lot. But I love that they sit with him through this. And I love that they like walk him through how it has to be true. 
And Lucy comes and gives him that one final confirmation. Oh, yeah. Yes. He just really wants it to be true. What is it on page 562? Could this be real? Is this something else that will blow up in my face? Does everything I believe in fall apart? And then the next paragraph, it's like, Baz refills the kettle and Jamie gets milk and we just keep eating Mm. sandwiches and we stay at the table till we're hungry again. Like, it's... It's not something that has to be actioned. It's just something he has to kind of live with. And yeah, that that tracks. That's true. That's how it is. Sometimes you just have to let the good things happen. Yeah. And I think I, I love that Simon, like, well, Baz has this expectation confirmed. Like, he always thought that Simon was magical, right? Like, he always thought, like, every time Simon yeah. said I was a normal, I was a normal, he was like, mm, no. So he has that confirmed for him. And then Simon has yeah, to, yeah. like, deal with that loss, like I've already said. But I just love that on page 571. Like, do you think I was a magician? His voice is rough and his cheeks are flushed. There's one damn curl hanging over his forehead. Yes, I say. That is clear now. Like, he is just, he's mm. got the confirmation and he's just, it's living up to his expectations. Better than a spell. Better than a DNA test. Yeah. I know. Amazing that Lucy held on for so long. What little was left of her was able to hold on for that long. It just reaffirms that love keeps going. Yeah. What is that quote from WandaVision? What is grief but love persevering? Yeah. And Fleabag. Where do I put it all? All this love I had for her. I don't know where to put it. Yeah. I think about that quote literally every day. (laughs) Yes. I, I know that Fleabag is not your thing, but some, like, so many parts of that show have just really stuck with me as, like, a treatise about getting better through grief. Mm. Ugh, yeah. So many feelings. Poor Simon. He's still got a long journey, but I'm just so happy for him that he's surrounded by people who love him, but, like, whose love he's accepted, like, Penny and Baz. Like, you know, he's really had a, a big learning curve with that and, like, letting yeah. them in. And letting them see him and all his vulnerabilities and all his fears. To the point where that now opens him up and allows him to receive this love from Lady Ruth and from Jamie. Like, he is in a better position. And I'm just so proud of him. Me too. I love that he just cries it all out while Baz plays violin too. There's something really lovely about just... He's practicing his sword forms. He's just crying into his shoulder. Baz is playing a melancholy song. (laughs) Because that's what he knows how to play. I love that he says, you know, in that first section, chapter 84, whatever it is, he's like, you know, Baz is plucking his violin and it's making a happy sound. I didn't know his violin could make happy sounds. Yeah. I love that as well because, like, obviously, Baz was really sad at Watford a lot of the time. Like, he was really going through it. He had his own struggles. And now they're in a position where they're so comfortable around each other, they can really let their guard down. They're both being very open and honest with each other. And I think that's what love is, is allowing yourself to be vulnerable to the people you love like let them see you your whole yes. self not pretending not putting up a front just Absolutely. being unequivocally yourself yeah warts and all and the, they're joking about you know there's always room for four to six rats like just the <laughs> fact that they're joking about it that he's joking about it says so much about how far they've come yeah and even penny this is how you're going to kill your vampire boyfriend like it's not Sanchez, a thing that causes yeah. <laughs> angst anymore you know it's so yeah. nice it's just a fact, and I love that it is just a fact. Um, did you have any tangential marginalia? I've already mentioned mine, which is Agatha and the tornado season. How about you? I really like when um, Baz tells him to keep the sword, and he's like, that's not even the 
biggest of your problems right now or it, it's not even on the list of things you need to think about and Simon goes I think you sound like my therapist and Baz goes a lot of your insults are compliments I think and it's just a really cute moment I really yeah and then that. he when he says do you think maybe you should call your therapist you should call her and ask and he's like mm. you're not funny and Baz mm-hmm. is like mm, actually I think I am that's right because we support getting the help you need yeah we're pro therapy we love it to therapy (laughs) absolutely um did you have an in-depth for this last little section yeah i sure do so mine is on page five six two and it's one you've already mentioned but it's this bit where you know simon is trying to come to terms with the fact that this big reveal he's lucy's son davy's son Mm. He's got this new family and Lady Ruth and Jamie, who he already likes. Like, these are people that he already likes. Yeah. And now he has this moment and he says, could this be real? Is there something, is this something else that will blow up in my face? Does everything I believe in fall apart? So I think it relates to the theme of expectations because sometimes when you're a person who just uh, is a pessimist and I think Simon has had <laughs> such bad experiences with, like, being the chosen one and then having this whole thing with yeah. Smith Richards, like, he just... He doesn't trust his intuition because he thinks that he Mm. falls for scams, right, basically. So this can just be another thing that's going to disappoint him. But also love because, like I said before, it's it's when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and open yourself up to the people who you trust to be there for you, that you can take these risks, that you can, like, allow yourself to be optimistic. If you don't have that safety net, it's really hard to be an optimist and it's really hard to take a chance on things that can hurt you um i think it's just it doesn't really remind myself like it doesn't really remind me of anything so much as just the conversation i already spoke about last week is like when you stop and think about love and the way that we (laughs) enter relationships it's actually kind of mad on a lot of ways like the fact that you Mm. just take on face value that you're going to trust a person with your whole heart and i think it's so important to allow yourself to be vulnerable and to allow yourself to to be open to receiving that because you surround yourself with other people. And I think it's the whole thing. Maybe it reminds me of about a boy where he says, you know, no man is an island. <laughs> you know, two isn't enough. Yeah. It's not enough to just have one person in your life. It's a community that allows you to give you the strength to allow yourself to be vulnerable like that. Because if you have friends the way that Simon has Baz and Penny and now Shep as well, and even Agatha and Neve, like people who know him and love him they will catch you they will catch you if it doesn't work out they will catch you if this is another thing that blows up in your face like if you only have one person then if it blows up in your face it's the end of the world so isolation is not the isolation is not the solution community is always the solution so going forward it's just like find your people find your community and allow yourself to be vulnerable and to be seen because that's where your strength is at the end of the day Absolutely. I love that. Perfectly said. Yeah. How about you? What's your in-depth? So mine is on page 554. Um, and it's right after they have just all figured out that Simon Snow is Lucy Salisbury's, Salisbury's child. Mm. Um, so Lady Ruth has dragged everyone upstairs to check the candle and it has finally just gone out. So page 554. Lucy is gone, but perhaps, perhaps she let go. I told her to bring the child home. I prayed and pleaded, bring it home. Let me help you keep it safe. And here he is. Here he must be. My Lucy's child, my flesh and blood, my Simon. 
So I think that Lady Ruth had been hoping, not expecting, but hoping that she would someday get Lucy back. And I think that Lucy was hanging on to this world just long enough to see Simon safe with her family. And to me, there is like so much love in that. Just keeping hope alive for other people, even when it takes every last bit of yourself to do so. Mm. Um, Even in the face of no real expectation, they still had that hope and that love. And so look for other texts. There's no shortage of fiction with wonderful coincidences that make the lives of our adventuring protagonists better but i really love how this like totally leans into that storytelling tradition this foundling does find his family and he does get to know who he is but going forward i i do want to point out that like there's no undoing what was done he's always going to have had the childhood he had and he's always going to have to reckon with the death of the mage being the way it was but he now gets to have some of the pieces put together for him he he gets to have love and I don't know it just really it just really reifies that love is part choice and part hope and I think that we can all take that and run with it you know look mm. look with hope and act with love yeah so hopeful mm. I know Lovely. I have a lot of feelings about it <laughs> oh. yeah <laughs> did you have a character you wanted to spotlight Yes, so I'm going to spotlight Lucy because she had a voice only in the first book and it was all looking back. So it was all telling the story of how she had met and fallen in love with this person and then they had created this child and then she didn't get to be there for the life of her child. And like there was no future for her, but the love that she had for this child sustained her until she had done what she set out to do, which was to keep her rosebud boy safe and see him safely delivered home. And I just like shout out to somebody who really wanted to be there, but couldn't. I just love it. Mm. How about Mm. you? Who do you want to spotlight for this, um, this last section? I am spotlighting Simon because I just think, you know, it's so joyful that he finds where he belongs, but you know, finding his family And as I already said, for trusting his friends enough to allow himself to be open to receive this love from these people and just knowing that he has some answers finally when he has for so long not had any and doubting himself. And this is such a moment of vindication for him. And he's just been on such an immense journey. And I just I just love him. I love Simon so much. Me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Oh, perfect. Um. Well, let's wrap the book up. Let's take a few minutes. We can reflect on the major theme of expectations and talk about what we learned. Yeah. Well, I think what I've always appreciated most about this series is actually the way that it challenges your expectations of the class system and the political system. I think these books are actually quite political in a lot of ways and the way that especially this last one really challenges the, the fact that a lot of this, the problems in the society is created by the expectations that the society has put in people's heads. Like it's yeah. creating this system of haves and haves nots. It's turning people against each other. It's prejudice that prevails throughout the society that we see through Shepard and through Simon as well. And yeah, it asks some really interesting questions, which I really appreciate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It really does. It, it shines a light into an area of society. I mean, it's obviously a fictional society, but it, it shines a light that we can then use to, as a framework to examine other areas of inequality and injustice in our own lives, which is really important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
I think I just love how all of the expectations that were set out in the beginning of the first book were upended, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So you have this yep, great <laughs> war. Yeah, you have this mm-hmm. great war. The war never happens. It just fizzles out. You have Simon and Baz, who are sworn enemies, but they're actually totally in love with each other. And also they both survive. And, you know, you have the guy who was in charge of things. The, the I guess, head wizard figure, right? The mentor who turned out to be exploiting the hero. Mm, evil. And yeah, Agatha. And, we know she's yeah. set up as this, like, you know, princess in a tower, but she's not that at all. Yeah, that's another great subversion. It's just, you know, the expectation was that she would be the prize at the end. And she was sort of like, well, I'm stealing myself for this to happen. But like, oh, I don't want it to. And it never does. And that's great. I think the second book also, it's also about confronting, again, the expectations of what should happen and then reifying what does. So we have these two people who are deeply in love, but they're completely unable to communicate. And we have Penny, who is so perceptive, but also really, really blind. And then we have Mm. Agatha, who has demagicked herself, but it turns out that she can't run away from who she is. And she actually needs to use those skills to save herself because she's just gotten herself kidnapped again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think really hamstrung by expectations as well. And the, yeah. like the whole thing is, you know, Simon and Baz, their unhappiness comes because they have this expectation of what their relationship should be. It's not mm-hmm. the reality of what they're experiencing. They're trying to live up to this expectation and they don't feel like they can communicate. Penny is the same. She has this expectation of what her life should be, mm. her life with Micah. And again, she can't communicate about it. And Agatha think she needs to have this normal life this expectation of what a normal life looks like and she's trying to force it to happen they're all trying to force these situations to occur which again leads to the conflict yeah Mm. so i think it was a really good lens that we were able to look through this whole series and this book too through the theme of expectations um it made me think about the expectations I carry in my own life and mm. what expectations I'm sort of silently adhering to those invisible rules and why. And it made me really want to double down and look at like which expectations or invisible rules do we value? Which ones would we shed if we could? And like Simon, I want to do what people do. I want to get close and try to stay there even when it's hard. Yeah, I definitely have. I agree with you. And I think I certainly have been considering what expectations I have of other people like what expectations have I created that I haven't communicated like Simon and Baz Mm. in that second book when they can't communicate you know you can't expect people to meet you where you are or to live up to your expectations or even have a conversation about those expectations if they don't know what they are if they don't exist yeah so it's really important that you are clear in your boundaries and you're clear in your communication so that you don't end up in this situation where everyone is miserable. And I think these books yeah. are a real yeah, yeah. reminder of that. And also just being open and honest with yourself about where you are and where your mental health struggles are at. Because I think both yes. Simon and Baz at various times have really struggled with both their identities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. their mental health and where they're at, like even Penny to an extent. And you can't shy away from that. You can't just stick stick that in a box and hope that it'll magically fix itself, you know? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's beautifully said. They're great books. Yeah, they are great books. <laughs> <laughs> Lots to learn. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that we've been able to take the time. I mean, we spent 30 weeks on this series, which is a huge amount of time if you think about it. Yeah, almost a year. Wow. <laughs> I know. I know when you stack it up like that, it's like, oh, we have been very industrious. 
<laughs> um, do you have a favorite marginalia from the whole book? I do, and I've actually chosen one from Fiona, and it's on page 434, and it's when Baz and Fiona are having that conversation in the mm-hmm. cafe, and she says to him, she isn't here, Baz. My mum and dad are gone too, and I can't. We've got to make decisions for the living, you know? Yeah. I just think it's such an important sentiment to hold in your heart that at the end of the day, you are living your life. You, It's your life, and you can't live it on someone else's terms. No matter how much you love them, or whatever it is, you have to live it for yourself. Like, you're the person who, at the end of the day, is going to look back in your life and go, did I have a good life? What are you going to do with your one wild and precious life, you know? And it just reminded me Absolutely. of something that my friend... Yeah, my friend Sophie sent me something the other day, which originally was a, t- a Tumblr post, and it talked about why are we living our lives on the basis of, you know, what would Jesus want or what would the founding fathers want? You know, they're not here. And it says... Um, nothing. They're dead. They're never coming back. I'm genuinely envious of other countries that just can make whatever laws they want without worrying about how an 18th century Agarian nobleman would have seen it. And it says at the end, we could have a country that isn't shackled to these ghosts if we collectively wanted to. And I love this idea that you can have a life that is not shackled to ghosts. Mm-hmm. Don't live for the dead. Live for the living. You know, we need to make yeah. decisions for the people around us right now. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. What was uh, your whole book favorite marginalia? So mine is when Penny tells Baz on page 441, you did something unconscionable because an adult you trusted said it would matter. Join Mm. the club, Basilton. And I really like this because this is a coming of age series. This is a series of about teenagers growing up and growing into the people that they're going to become. Um, but this book is also specifically about challenging the expectations you were set, redefining your values. Mm-hmm. It's about getting getting to that age of going, hey, some of the things that my parents or carers told me were okay were kind of messed up and I don't want to be that person. And it's okay to pivot. Like, it is 100% okay to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my, my son's school has the best set of rules in the world, which is be kind, be safe, be your best. And I feel like if everybody Aww. did that, we would have a much better world. So, yeah, I think... You get to a point where you have trusted the adults in your life, but sometimes you realize they mess up and you get to choose who you are from there on. So I really love that. Yeah. Hmm. So who would you like to spotlight for the whole book? I am going to spotlight one Basilton Grimpitch. Because (laughs) if we cast our mind back to the start of this book, this poor lad has his heart ripped out of his chest after this horrific experience, this weak In the US, where America kept taking bites out of him, and he just had this horrible time, and then his boyfriend, love of his life, ghosts him, (laughs) leaves him a note after he's had this trauma with his dad who's been abandoned by his wife, and he just has to go and he has that whole thing about where he's like, would it be worse if he never loved me, or is it worse that he loves me still but can't be bothered? Like, it's such a horrible thing for him to reckon with and, like, for Simon to admit that he never really tried. And, like, poor Baz is just really going through it. And he's he's such, you know, the whole thing with Pippa, where he has to reconcile, yeah. like, the person he was, the person that he would, like, exactly like your whole, um, your in-depth marginalia, right? Like, he was doing mm. this thing because he was trying to please his aunt because he wanted to be a good pitch, but he doesn't even know what that means anymore. What does yeah. it mean to be a vampire? What does it mean to be gay? Like, he's just really going through it he's got a whole glow up and you know he does it really well like he's 
he was really well placed at the end of this book and I am incredibly proud of him for getting there. So yeah, I want to spotlight him. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you like to spotlight? Well, for the whole book, I think I'm going to spotlight Jamie Salisbury. Mm. I really wanted to spotlight somebody who has a hard time and somebody who gets let down by the community and is really vulnerable. I think his hopefulness is really what gets to me. Like, he wants so badly to belong. And then when he falls for the scam that Smith Richards puts on, you know, he blames himself. He just expects a little of himself, you know. It's but I really love how kind and gentle he is and I love how much he cares and I love how excited he is that he finally gets his sister's kid like he's just so excited that Simon is family he's a good guy and I just wanted to like spotlight that just seemed important yeah. to point that out <laughs> yeah no that's great and I think he's gonna be he's actually just secretly chuffed that he's related to Simon Snow like he's telling everyone I know. everyone he meets well I mean like what, what's that line that he said you know my I think my mom would have sent you flowers if she'd known how to get them to you after the mage was killed like, like they like this kid already and then it turns out he's family kind oh, of ideal dear. right absolutely hmm. <laughs> well that's it for season 11 thank you everyone wow. for reading and listening along with us as we tackled Anyway the Wind Blows by Rainbow Rowell and stay tuned because next week Yes, we'll be back with a one-shot. We're watching Hunt for the Wilder People by Taika Waititi, a great Kiwi film. And then for our next season, we'll be mm-hmm. reading The Raven Gang by Maggie Stirada through our theme of connection. So, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be so good. I am very excited. You know, I have never reread The Raven King, so... Mm, yeah, I only... it's going to be a lot. I reread it for the first time this year, I think. Maybe it was the end of last year. Whenever we had, we had a pretty big break at some point, and I listened to all of the books in order then. So I reread it recently ish. Mm. But um, yeah, it's going to blow our heads off, I think. <laughs> I'm glad we're preparing Woo! the hunt for the wilder people because that's like very funny, but also has a lot of heart. So we'll be like in the zone. Yeah, it's a great film. And I feel like I can just speak to all the kiwiness in it, which is delightful. Yes. Yes, I'm excited. I love, you know, I love Taika's films and his work's just great. So I'm happy to be back in the land of uh, cheerfulness. <laughs> exactly. And good jokes. Well, thank you so much. Well, what a joy so it's been reading this series with you. I know. I can't believe it's over. It's, <sighs> it's so been a good. time. <laughs> it has been a time. All of the feelings, all of the emotions. But I love that we got to go on this journey together. So thank you. And Absolutely. I love you. I love you too. And I will see you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 